Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such a beautiful day, uh, moderate temperatures and sunshine, and thank you for the recent rain. We are reminded that you bless us with seasons to uh, uh, give us variety in our lives, and not just there, but in many, many other ways. There are seasons of our own lives, seasons of our church life, and uh, we pray, Father, that we would come to rejoice in all those, even in times of sorrow to recognize that even there you are present, that you are at work, that you are accomplishing things in us and for us. And we pray your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our seventh and last lesson in the series on uh, suffering, sorrow, and grief. And today I want to just, I mainly want to talk about grief primarily as it would be applied uh, in the case of a death of of a loved one. Obviously, again, grief is something that can happen with other circumstances in life. And so in in many ways, the principles that we're going to talk about would apply for any kind of grief. I want to begin by reading a quote from C.S. Lewis's book he wrote called A Grief Observed. He's really writing, he wrote that book about his own grief. And he's as he's observing himself and trying to understand what's going on. And this is a really uh, powerful passage from that book, early in the book. He says, Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing Him, so happy that you are tempted to feel His claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to Him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It, may, it might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It, seems, it seemed so once, and that seeming was so strong at this, as this. What can this mean? Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in the time of trouble? That's the the questions, of course, that he raises early in the book, and then those questions get resolved as he works through his own uh, evaluation of his own grief and the process that, uh, that went on. Job, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all the adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. So they came to visit Job. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Neamathite. Uh, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. 
So a few words about Job's friends, because we want to talk a little bit about how we as friends and, and fellow Christians gather around one another in a time of grief. First, they were friends. Second, they came. Third, they grieved with him. Fourth, they felt the need to give counsel, but were not equipped to do so. Fifth, they lost patience with Job. We talk about the patience of Job. Well, his friends were not patient with Job. So let's talk about some lessons learned. What, uh, so part of what they did was good, and part of what they did was not good. We want to imitate the good part and avoid the bad part. They didn't have the Bible to instruct them, but we do, including the book of Job. We need the truth so that we will know how to grieve and how to comfort. Those are two parts here that we have to understand, because we're... We're going to be on the receiving end and the giving end of this on many occasions. Both the grieving person and the comforter, both the griever and the comforter, can be ignorant and can do it poorly. And so we all need God's Word and we all need God's Spirit. We do well to remember that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God And so our perspective is childlike, and we will have to trust God for much of this. So a couple more quotes from Lewis's book, Grief Observed. When I lay these questions before God, I get no answer, but a rather special sort of no answer. It is not the locked door. It is more like a silent, certainly not uncompassionate gaze, as though he shook his head, not in refusal, but waving the question like, Peace, child. You don't understand. Can a mortal ask questions which God finds unanswerable? Quite easily, I should think. All nonsense questions are unanswerable. How many hours are there in a mile? Is yellow square or round? Probably half the questions we ask, half our great theological and metaphysical problems are like that. Heaven will solve our problems but not, I think, by showing us subtle reconciliations between all our apparently contradictory notions. The notions will all be knocked from under our feet. We shall see that there never was any problem. Perspective. Again, he says, uh, God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality, he already uh, he knew that already. It was I who didn't. In this trial, he makes us occupy the dock, the witness box, and the bench all at once. He always knew that my temple was a house of cards. His only way of making me realize the fact was to knock it down. So... The greatest source of understanding and comfort, of course, is the Word, the Word of God. Psalm 147.3, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So God himself is the source, and of course his words are how he communicates with us. So our Creator knows our hearts, and he knows best how to help us. So all the answers to life's questions are in his Word. 
Not, I didn't say they were always satisfying in the moment, uh, in, in, or in that sense that God's going to answer all my questions. But ultimately, they are satisfying. When we are grief-stricken, if we will talk to God, that is, pray and read His Word, we will experience great comfort, hope, and healing, even if it comes slowly. You think about, when we think about physical healing, that's not instantaneous. That's a process, and it varies. It varies with the circumstances. How bad is the injury or the illness? What's, what other underlying conditions are there? Uh, and you know, or perhaps when it comes to physical things, how old am I? Uh, do I, I don't frequently as we get older and have things happen, I don't bounce back like I used to because circumstances have changed. I've changed, and so when we think about healing emotionally, healing in terms of grief. We need to understand that that, too, is a process, and it's going to be different with every person. Sometimes it comes slowly um, uh, because we want it to come slowly. What if, you know, you say, well, I, I was grieved yesterday, I got bad news, and I'm over it today. Well, that's not right. That wasn't much grief, was it? Uh, that, that's an oversimplification. We need to understand that it's, it's not just okay to grieve, we need to grieve. Grief is a good thing. It, it, provide, it, it does what God wants it to do in our lives. It's painful, but we don't want to just somehow, we're not trying to figure out how to get rid of grief. We're trying, maybe a better way to think of it is how do we manage grief? How do we recognize what's going on in grief so that we can profit from it and recognize that Part of the grief is, I want to grieve. I want to be sad. I am sad. I am wounded. I am hurt. I want to cry. I want to sit in silence. I want to think. I want to pray. I want to be alone. And then sometimes I want to be with people. Have you ever been angry and someone tries to talk you down, but you want none of it? Because you really want to be angry right then. You ever done that with a child? I do that with children sometimes. They're upset and I try to say something funny or whatever. They don't want to smile. They don't want to laugh right now. Right now I'm mad and I want you to know I'm mad. Um, Have you ever wanted to be a victim? Well, sometimes we don't want to be comforted. We should remember that. Uh, while it's possible to be angry and not sin, yet we often sin when we're angry, grief is like that as well. Remember that the community plays an essential role. That's what God's Word says. Even on those moments when you think, I don't want to be around anybody, that's understandable, and you don't have to be around people all the time. But neither do you get to say, if you're the griever, uh, I don't, I'm never going to be around people. I don't, that's, that would be a disobedience to what God calls for. Part of our grief is our own. It's unique to us. But part of it belongs to the community. It belongs to the family. It belongs to the church. It belongs to friends. They can't do everything, but they can do some things. I think that's an important balance to recognize. There are no words I have that can... First of all, I don't want to take away all your grief. I do want to comfort you. I want you to know that I love you. I want to come alongside of you. I want to help you, but I can't do it for you, and I can't take it all away. And that's by design. 
So they can't make it vanish, but they can make it better. So we might not realize it in the moment, but the presence, the words, the prayers, the hugs, the acts of kindness and service are means of the body of Christ ministering to itself, ministering to the grieved. So, will sorrow and grief come to an end? Well, ultimately, yes, Revelation 21.4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. None. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. We know that. We know that as much as we know anything else God tells us. We know it because he said it. We know it because he cannot lie. We know it because he's faithful. We know it uh, because that's how we know most important things, as he told us. Not only will families be reunited, but we'll all be one big happy family, the family of God, and that family will live forever with no more death, pain, sorrow, or crying. Job asked this important question in Job 14, 14 and 15. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. You shall call, and I will answer you. So Job knew that he could look forward to a change, to eternal life, but he also knew, at least from his perspective at that time, that it seemed like that was a long way off. So writing in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul looked forward to the future time of change when some will receive eternal life. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead. There's, there's our, he's the firstborn from the dead. There's our promise. And writing to the skeptical Corinthians, the Apostle Paul reminded them of this fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and 23, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. In the words of Jesus from John 14, 1, 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Those words are true. Paul wrote the following words to the Romans, Romans 8, 11, and 14. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. For as many as are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. And then Paul explained to his readers that we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, when Christ returns, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, 
and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Now, having read those passages of Scripture, and there are, there are others, does that mean we should just not be sad and not grieve? That's not what that's saying. No, but what it is saying is we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We have a hope. And that hope isn't like, I hope so. I sure hope this is true. The word that's used here means certainty. We have a certain hope. We have an expectation. We have a promise from the unchangeable God. And so in the midst of my grief, I can look to that and realize this doesn't last forever. There is hope. There's, there is, so what happens, what happens sometimes when people grieve? They feel hopeless. They feel like there's no relief. There's no, there's nothing. And that's why we come back to the things we know. God is good. God is all powerful. God is wise. And God loves me. I don't always feel that. That's what C.S. Lewis was expressing in some of the things he wrote, that the feeling of that at moments seems distant. But I come back just like the feelings of your marriage, the romance is not always there. hope it's there a lot. But on those days that it's not, what is there are your promises, your vows, your commitments. That's what sustains you on the days when... It doesn't always feel uh, what you'd like to feel like. So let's talk about some ways of dealing with grief. We all must cope with loss caused by death and, again, other forms of grief. So how can we deal with our grief and also help others who are grieving? Understanding what the Bible reveals about death and his promise of the resurrection certainly provides that ultimate great comfort God in his great love for us has revealed answers to some of the greatest questions we face, again, which we could never answer on our own. What is life? What is death? What happens after death? Ultimately, this understanding can help us better cope with loss in death, yet we can't deny or diminish the feeling of loss created by death. We still sorrow. We still grieve. Grief is a deeply personal and often traumatic experience. In dealing with grief, you may find it helpful to understand certain aspects of grief. And what, you know, I know sometimes, whether it's grief, there's other circumstances in life that uh, people have. And uh, again, this is an occasion. Basically, grief happens when your world's been turned upside down in some way. So... I've heard many people say in the midst of that, sometimes I feel like I'm going crazy. Well, it's because you are. Um, and that's normal. That's, that's what I want to say about that is things are not normal. They've been turned upside down. Everything is chaos. Everything is out of order. It's not where it used to be. It's not where it was yesterday. It's not there anymore. And And therefore... It's helpful for me to know that I'm not the only, I'm not, am I the only one that has felt this? And the answer is no. And to the degree that we can look and see what things we hold in common when we have these things, that can be really helpful. 
So grief, again, not limited to the death of a loved one. It can come with things like loss of a job, a major move, sickness or injury, divorce, or other uh, relational breakups. In fact, when such events happen, it's not uncommon for people to seek comfort in places other than Christ. They can try to, you know, uh, use of substance abuse is, is one way. Um, again, other ways to kind of change the subject. But these so-called comforts never comfort. They make things worse. So I have come to not like describing this as the grief process, as though this is some sort of automatic or mechanical series of events. Uh, understanding certain aspects of grief, however, and recognizing them in ourselves and in others can be helpful, but they never fit into really tight, neat categories. This is not a checklist. This is not pigeonholes. Um, they overlap. They come and go. Their duration varies, and not everything fits. So sometimes for analysis purposes, we break things out and we say number one, number two, number three. But I want to emphasize that this isn't quite that tidy. Uh, these things come and go and, again, overlap. And besides, there are various ways to think about things. Sometimes we enumerate things or break them out, again, for the sake of trying to get some grasp of them. But there might be other ways to do the same thing. So this is merely one way to help get some sense of why, what might be going on with us or with others. And I've always found it helpful, again, to know that, that what I'm experiencing is in the normal range uh, and that others have experienced similar things and that these things change and sometimes they go away or they at least diminish. Everything, everything looks different tomorrow and next week and next year. Our perspective changes. I sent out a little thing, anonymous, about grief being like waves. First, they're 100 feet and they're five feet apart. In time, usually the, the waves don't go away, but the size of the waves diminish and the frequency of the waves get further apart. But then every now and then there's a rogue wave that just shows up out of nowhere and it's 100 feet too. And it knocks you for a loop. So we hear of categories such as shock, denial, anger, disorganization, depression, reorganization, acceptance. But again, bear in mind that a person in mourning might not experience these sequentially. There is no standard timetable for working our way through grief. First of all, every grief situation is different. Um, someone might feel several of these categories, but not others. Another person might experience them simultaneously or just very in, in rapid succession. And back again. And having already gone through a certain category doesn't mean that you can't return to that category. So if you think about being in shock where you're just kind of like, I don't know what to do. I'm just kind of standing here, my mouth open, don't know where to start, don't know what to do. And then somebody comes along and you realize, i got to make a decision today about something. Maybe it's about a funeral. i got to go meet, make decisions. And then I get to go back home and stand there with my mouth open again, not knowing what to do. So there's going to be some ebb and flow here. Um, so um, things for the comforter to remember. Being there is better than not being there. 
but wisely evaluate the situation. Job's friends came. It's important for you to come. You want to be helpful, but you don't want to be in the way. Recognize that there are levels of every relationship. An acquaintance has one role, a friend or relative has another role, a close friend or a pastor plays another role. I say plays a role, fills a role. I'm not playing at anything here, but we're standing in those relationships and uh, being self-aware of that makes this more useful. So let's look at each of these areas real quick. Shock or denial. When a person experiences shock or denial, their physical response might include sweating or fainting, uh, uh, faintness or nausea or racing heart, just like any other victim of shock. The mind and the emotions become overwhelmed and even numb. Um, I, when I fell building my house 20 years ago and broke my arm and was up on the second floor, uh, I was in shock, thankfully, because that meant I wasn't in pain. That was coming <laughs> uh, in about, oh, about 30 minutes. But there was at least enough shock to numb the pain long enough to make some decisions, like, i got to get to the hospital. I need to call my wife to come get me and take me, Uh, those kinds of things. So, um, again, numbness. Some might not be able to deal with the reality of death. Some withdraw from the world around them. Others might feel as though they're having a bad dream that they're going to wake up from. Perhaps this is God's way of providing us a protective buffer. I know this is the case, again, with physical pain, like I mentioned. Um, It's during this time that we can begin to sort out and process our feelings at our own pace and comfort level. Several important principles should be considered at this point. First, it is normal for there to be emotional ups and downs. So sometimes somebody says, well, how's he doing or how's she doing? Well, sometimes she sobs and sometimes she's quiet and sometimes she's busy. I think she's doing fine because that's normal. Second, at some point, it helps to talk about your thoughts and feelings, not with everyone, but with someone. Those who are grieving have been deeply hurt by their loss. They need the opportunity to heal, but they also need to be taken care of. They can uh, enable people around them to be of assistance by letting those who want to help know what they're experiencing. So again, if you're grieving, I want to urge you, as you feel comfortable, uh, don't just totally retreat. Find somebody or a few somebodies that you can talk to or pray with or just sit with, just like Job's friend sat with him for seven days and didn't say a word. You can help by being a good listener and not changing the subject. A distress, at distressing times like these, the support of friends and loving family is invaluable. A friend loves at all time, Proverbs says, And a brother is born for adversity, and there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The day will come when they'll be happy to do the same for you. Third, no matter how deep their sorrow is, let them know that they're not alone and that you love them. That's pretty simple. I don't know what to say or do. Well, you can do that. I love you. Can I get you some water? Could I sit next to you? Fourth, in times of grief, some people lose sight of the need to take care of themselves physically. 
caring for their health and well-being is often the last thing on their minds. And so during times of grief, it's easy to grow emotionally and physically depleted. Encourage them. Go for a walk. Take a nap. Go walk with them. Rest, again, is another way to care for the grieving person because grief is absolutely exhausting. Going without rest then compounds that difficulty. Anger. Sometimes when we're grieved, our natural tendency is to want to blame somebody, anybody, for our loss and pain. This anger might be rational, so be patient with your uh, grieving friend. We might find ourselves angry with the person who died, even if that person died through no fault of their own because of of what that loss is doing to us. We might be angry because of the timing of the death, and when we're grieving, anger might be vented toward authority figures, to the doctor, the hospital staff, family members, friends, the pastor, or even God. That's, there's some lamentation here. We may wonder why God didn't intervene in the situation to prevent the death, and this anger may then lead to a feeling of guilt. I'm not supposed to be angry at God and my friends. I shouldn't have said that. Um... Because anger is a powerful emotion. Bitterness can be then become part of this, where I'm ruminating on this anger over and over and over and feeding that beast, and so I become embittered. So after shock and anger and disorientation, uh, usually pretty quickly, uh, what follows that, again, not in a tidy way, is disorganization, maybe depression, When everything gets turned upside down, we don't know where to start. I've described this before. I don't even remember what year. It's been about 25 years ago or so, driving to um, Moscow, Idaho with Aaron. Aaron, when was that? What year? 1995. And it was right after a Category 5 tornado had hit Oklahoma City. And as we were driving up the interstate, uh, it was a north-south road. I don't remember exactly which one, but on the west side, it was pristine. Nothing had been touched. And it was like that road was the, the dividing line, and literally right next to the road, as far as you could see, was an ocean of two-by-fours. You couldn't make out a house. Uh, it was just, it, it, I believe it was five miles uh, a mile wide and five miles long, this path of destruction. And I remember thinking, where do you start? It was just unbelievable. We had occasion to drive back through there a few years later, maybe three or four years later, uh, and it was a brand new city. Somebody started by picking up a two-by-four and another one and another one and another one. And little by little, it got cleaned up and rebuilt. And so, um, the uh, that's and again, because of the size of that, it just seems so overwhelming. Uh, so, like the tornado that hits, what should I feel? What should I do? So many decisions have to be made. We might have gone from a normal routine life to, and then suddenly it all changes. And we might, have, we might have been a caregiver for a long time. Suddenly that's over. 
New responsibilities are now laid on us. Indeed, it is a whirlwind. Reality then eventually sets in, and we're confronted with the necessity to go on with life without the one that we loved. It's easy to begin uh, to plague ourselves with thoughts of what should have or could have been. And signs of depression include a feeling of, of course, melancholy, lack of concern about the outside world, or a loss of interest in eating or sleeping, feelings of guilt, helplessness, hopelessness, and worthlessness are common. And during this stage, we should remember the positive aspects of the life that we shared with the one that we loved. Memories are real. Memories are valuable. We will forever carry with us time spent and enjoyed with the one that we've lost. These are a treasure that nobody, nobody can take from us and are part of the legacy of our loved one, that our loved one left us, part of the inheritance. Furthermore, it's vital to realize that we need not ever walk alone in our grief. God is still with us, even in times of mourning. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. At times like these, we must remember to keep the lines of communication open with God. He can help us deal with grief. Ask Him for strength. Ask Him for courage. Uh, Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in the time of need. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, He is the God of all comfort who comforts us with all, in all our tribulation. And then following that, at some point out there, uh, and I don't want to give any kind of specific time frame, part, partly of necessity, we still have to sleep and eat and shower and get up and pay the bills and do any number of things that we that become, we're starting to put things back together. And so there's this reorganization uh, of our lives and a recognition of the reality of what's happened. Eventually, then, as we deal with grief, we come to understand and accept that we are beginning a new chapter in life. We come to know a new normal. I put that in quotes. It doesn't feel normal. We have been changed forever. We're either now bitter or better. Those are the two options. A serious physical accident is similar. Uh, many of you remember my little cousin, Sadie, who was in a awful car accident as a six-year-old and almost died, uh, and she's doing well, by the way. Uh, she has some lasting injuries uh, on her left side, and but she is cheerful and living a, a happy life. But we had a lot of scary, scary moments in all of that. But So there are after effects of something like that. But new realities must be adjusted to because we're in a new situation. And because of the trial that we're going through, we should become stronger, deeper, and better for having faced and endured this great difficulty. Emotional balance returns usually little by little, like the healing of a physical wound. And again, I want to remind you, all kinds of things in life that can cause trauma, cause grief, cause an upset. And if we... If we decide we're going to just park ourselves there and not move, we're going to prolong this. That doesn't mean I'm waking up and saying, oh, I'm just going to get over this and move on. No, you're not, you're not ever going to get over this. It's part of who you are. 
I've got a number of scars on my body, most of which I achieved as a teenager or a young boy, but they're still with me. They're part of who I am. I can show you sometimes. You don't want to see them, but um, you've got them too. Okay? Uh, some of my current aches and pains uh, occurred when I was a young man that are now still presenting themselves. They're part of who I am. And these are the kinds of pains that are part of who we are. We're not trying to get rid of them. We are trying to learn how to live with them and how to make them useful and helpful for us and for others. The time required for healing is different for each person. No one can take the place of a loved one that we've lost, but we'll come to the point where we're ready to move forward, to meet new challenges. And as bleak as life seems after the death of the one that we love, we must remember that this too shall fade. The joy of life can return with the help of God, with the understanding of his great purpose for life, with the hope of the future, we can find strength to overcome grief, especially if we hold firmly to the promise of that wonderful day when we will be joyfully reunited with our loved ones and ultimately the time when death and all suffering will pass away forever. Until then, as Solomon wrote, to everything there is a season. A time to every purpose under heaven, a time to die, a time to heal, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Sometimes you have to do both. You can go dance and then go mourn. And then go do the dishes. And then go mourn. Um, that's the rhythm there. The length of these times will vary according to the circumstances in person. Emotional healing will come but we never really get over it. There will be scars. We are changed forever. Again, C.S. Lewis. Getting over it so soon, but the words are ambiguous. To say the patient is getting over it after an operation for appendicitis is one thing. After he's had his leg off, it's quite another. After that operation, either the wounded stomp heals or the man dies. If it heals, the fierce, continuous pain will stop. Presently, he'll get back his strength and be able to stump about on his wooden leg. He has got over it, but he will probably have recurrent pains in the stump all his life, and perhaps pretty bad ones, and he will always be a one-legged man. There will be hardly any moment when he forgets it, bathing, dressing, sitting down, getting up again even lying in bed, will all be different. His whole way of life will be changed. All sorts of pleasures and activities that he once took for granted will have to be simply written off. Duties, too. At present, I am learning to get about on crutches. Perhaps I shall presently be given a wooden leg, but I shall never be a biped again. Closing with a few words of encouragement here. Adjusting to the loss and loneliness can caused by death takes time, and we need to be very patient with those who are grieving. Remember, Job's friends grew impatient. They thought it was time for him to get over it. But with those who are grieving, uh, but those who are grieving also need to work at trusting God. We all need to remember that even this most extreme experience does not separate us or our loved ones from God's plan 
or his love. The Apostle Paul noted that God revealed details about what happens after death to encourage and comfort us, to give us hope in times of personal loss, that we are not to sorrow like those who have no hope. God's promise of eternal life is certain. We can safely trust in it as long as we're faithful to him. And so writing to a fellow minister in Titus 1-2, Paul spoke of his confidence in, quote, the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. When a family member or friend dies, there's no denying the sense of loneliness and emptiness and the feeling of unfinished business, that we should have, what things that we should have said or done more. Gaining a more complete understanding of death and life can help us face our own mortality. We find courage, comfort, and hope by viewing life in a larger context, a bigger perspective. We realize that our, just as our present experience is temporary, so is death. Um, a time is coming when we will re- be reunited with those who've died and renew our relationships. For I am persuaded, Paul said, that neither death nor life nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'll close with one more quote from Lewis's Grief Observed. And so, perhaps with God, I have gradually been coming to feel that the door is no longer shut and bolted. Was it my own frantic need that slammed it in my face? The time when there is nothing at all in your soul except a cry for help? may be just the time when God can't give it. You are like the drowning man who can't be helped because he clutches and grabs. Perhaps your own reiterated cries deafen you to the voice you hope to hear. He went on to say later that a friend asked him, I thought you said that God had slammed the door. He said, I realized that I had closed the door and he was there all along. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promises of your word, the hope that's given to us, things we could never know on our own. We would just be left without Christ and without hope in the world. But we are thankful that even the worst things in our lives have meaning and purpose. Even when we can't see what they are immediately, we can see that you are the faithful one and that your mercies are new each day. I pray for everyone here who grieves, who remembers who suffers, who has felt pain. Father, help us all, because we're all subject to these things. and We're thankful that we have a Savior who can sympathize with us, who grieved himself, and yet who reigns now, and we reign with him. Bless us now as we come to worship. In Jesus' name, amen.